Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the Whitetail Podcast, brought to you by Key West Ford. Visit keywestford.com, BC's largest selection of trucks. Uh, joined by Ed Willis today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Canucks trade for Tyler Foley, the upcoming trade deadline, injuries, Brock Besser, maybe a bit on their blue line, maybe a little bit of anniversary, depending on what time or how much time we go through. And we might even get into some sneaker talk, which we had some illuminating stuff before the, maybe not, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how much time we have left, Ed. Uh, let's start right from the top. Once again, shockingly, Canuck fans divided over a trade for uh, that Jim Benning's made. You know, they bring in a guy who they hope can play in their top six, has some playoff experience, doesn't have a lot of time left on his contract. If they need to bring him back, he's probably going to be more costly than their cap can afford and give up a prospect to do it. Like it? Well, it, yeah, it, it, again, it, it's not that easy. We, we need context here. And if you believe... Uh they had to do whatever they could to make the playoffs this year. Then you like the deal. In fact, you love the deal because they went out and got one of the real prizes available at the deadline, fits their needs perfectly, takes all the excuses away from injuries, all those things. And I think it was pretty clear. It's been pretty clear all along. And if people weren't paying attention at the subtext in, the, in, in, in this summer, when they make the JT Miller trade, when they sign Myers, when they sign, when they sign Jordy Ben, when they, they sign, you know, who knows, all these other, it was all, all for a win now, compete now, make the playoffs now. So that's it. Now, if we want to have a larger con- uh, conversation about is that the way for this team to go? Uh, I'm all for that. I don't think it's ever a good idea to start flipping first rounders, second rounders, third rounders around, uh, like you're dealing with playing cards. But that's the path they've chosen, and uh, we'll see how it plays out here in the last uh, what six weeks of the season, I guess. It's always a dilemma for an NHL general manager, is it not? When you're you know you're drafting players so young, and it may take four, five, six years for them to truly develop, especially when you're talking about third rounders. Will you get to see that? And this is where you get the cyclical nature of okay, we've restocked, got a ton of prospects. Uh oh, we need to get where we're getting go all in and then you're going to have this dearth of uh, this dead zone where you're not going to have picks to replenish. So I have some sympathy for Jim Benning and that everyone knows it's now or never. But, you know, if you talk about knee-jerk moves or moves to your right, eliminate injury problems, can this team actually do some damage? Can they win around? Can they win two, three? With the way they're currently constructed, I have a hard time believing they can. And when you look at their record against playoff teams, it is two games under 500. Uh, they, they've made they've made their money, you know, beating up on non-playoff teams so far. That's how, how they built their season. Um, 
having said all that, in 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 the universe Jim Benning has created, he looks at his his prospect pool. He looks at some of the players he's got coming. That to me was again. There's so many. There's a couple of different layers to this story. Uh, that was one of the more interesting ones to me is the the so-called Magnificent Seven. They, they've identified as players he thinks will be playing with the Canucks in two, three years. I think that might be a reach, but but very clearly he's he's expecting Pod Colson to step in 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 another. Uh, I think it's two years as his deals expired. It, one, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, and Hoagland and 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 I I think uh, th- th- this trade demonstrates they had those two players rated more highly uh, than Tyler Madden. And I love Tyler Madden. I, wa- I watched him over the life of the World Junior uh, last year, and, and he is a dynamic player. He's He would have been a fan favorite. I mean, how could you not love him? He's 5'11", weighs 150 pounds, but he plays like he's 200. He could be. It's, it's, it's conceivable he could be Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, he's, he's that, he's like, like skillful, like dynamic, fearless, all, all those things, but he's 150 pounds. So weighing all those factors in and looking at what they've got coming, Benning decided, yeah, we can, you know, we, we can afford to cut this guy loose. Well, that's the thing. You only have room for so many prospects. Um, yeah. What does trouble me a little bit though is everyone has been talking really like good hockey minds much better than mine have been talking for the last month or two how, the Canucks blue line just doesn't look like it's good enough for a deep playoff run, and that that's one of the reasons why Jacob Markstrom has had to work so hard to get them some of the wins that they've had. And yet, here they go, they add a, a forward, and there's more talk of Wayne Simmons coming, and they're, you know, they obviously want grit if they're going to get to the playoffs and do something in the playoffs. They want to be heavier, but, you know, I know there are prospects out there on the blue line, but should this not be an area that if, if Jim Benning is really concerned about the makeup of this team, should he not be looking at the blue line instead of chasing a Wayne Simmons? Yeah, no. I mean, the, the guys that are out there for me are insignificant upgrades over. I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing them make a play for Brendan Dillon. Is a you know a Surrey kid and he's you know he ticks a lot of box boxes for them. I, you know I think you you know he's mean. He's got playoff experience, size, plays a heavy game, all those things. But when you when you look at what they've got and now that uh, the big O Oscar Fantenberg is back and they've still got Brogan Rafferty available for a call up if they need him, and then the guys in Utica, I'm just not sure if they represent that much of a, of an upgrade. Uh, so. Yeah, especially for, for for the cost it was going to be. Um, the fact of the matter is they've been looking for a winger to play with Bo Harvat for the better part of two full seasons now. And it just hasn't worked with the combination of Louis Erickson. I know Vertanen hasn't played a ton with him, but he was, you know, he had a long audition in the top six role. Uh, and it did, just didn't look like he could produce consistently enough to warrant that kind of profile in the lineup. So that then you're left with who who can we get and to Foley really like I said I mean you know if, if you list he he would fit comfortably in the top five players who are available uh, at this trade deadline. Obviously Madden, as you talked about, uh, a prospect that uh, the Kings coveted because you would think the closer you get to the deadline the more you could drive up interest because to Foley was one of those names that everyone was talking about. So uh, much like the the Miller trade uh, at the draft. A lot of people thought they paid too much at first, but you got to give Benning credit for saying, "This is what I want. Here you go. You know, yeah. I want him. Here's here's my uh, here's my offer." No, no. The obvious difference there is Miller came with a extremely attractive uh, contract uh, for 
what we thought was a second-line player who's now turned into a first-line player and makes it even more attractive. Uh, that kind of raises the question for me, for, for this trade to be successful, do they have to sign to Foley? And do they have the room to sign to Foley? Um, and that's going to play out here, you know, the, the duration of the season, but it, it makes for an awfully interesting off-season for uh, Benning in the hockey department to try and squeeze all, all the players that need to be signed uh, under the cap, given some of the contracts they have. The, you know, how much Toffoli is tied to news about Brock Besser, which seemed to just fluctuate mm. all over the place yesterday. Uh, only Jim Benning knows knows that, whether he he had this sense that Besser was done for the at least the regular season. Um, how concerned are you about his his play? I know we've talked to him on this. Uh, we've talked about him on this podcast that, you know, that back injury seems to have had more of a lasting impact than anything else. But he is he seems to be getting further away from that player we saw as a rookie than than closer. Yeah, unfortunately, it's become part of the story, and, and the injuries play a significant part of that. Has does the production. Um, again, you know, he just seems so dynamic in his rookie season up until the point where he got hurt. I mean, he was on pace for a 35 goal season with a terrible team. And I just haven't seen that kind of pop to his game since that dynamism. He's still got some skill. He's still going to get you, I think, 25 goals, especially with the, you know, the role he plays with this team. I'd like to see him bounce back because he changes a lot of things if he is a legitimate, you know, first line winger. Um, but I think given everything that's happened here over the last couple of years, you can start to reasonably ask, is he that guy? Right now, the contract isn't terrible, but it's it, it scales upwards. And in the last year, I think they're going to be paying $7 million a year for, for Brock Besser. And under the presumption, he was going to be like a 30-35 goal scorer. Remains to be seen if he's that guy still. I think you just need to see him get healthy and, and really be I – mean, there's definitely he's not, you know, the shot. And even the way he's skating, not as, um, as you said, dynamic as he was when he was a rookie. But, you know, who knows how these things play in your mind as well. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we, you always see this with coaches. Okay, fine offensively, but you need to be better in your own end. And then you never know how that weighs on, on a player. Uh, still a ton of potential there, of course. But let's look at the last uh, couple months of the season here. Um, you know, obviously there will be, we'll have to see who's healthy and if there are any other deals to come from the Canucks, but they're doing this, you know, surge drop, surge drop. You start to look at the numbers and the last six, seven games have not been great. Certainly we have seen some great goaltending performances in there, but the other teams in the Pacific seem to be in the same similar sort of boat. Are the Canucks still a team to beat as they sit in first in the, in the Pacific? I wouldn't go that far, but there there is so little difference between those four teams. I still think Las Vegas has has the best lineup of of all those teams, but their their goaltending with Mark Andre Fleury has been questionable this year. Uh, the, the Canucks are right there. Um, Edmonton. It, it, it really is a, a, a an, an interesting. Uh, Interesting to say, to say the least, but you know, looking at their schedule, what what lies ahead, and and looking at the way they built this season, um, they have made they 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 have built this season on their performance against non playoff teams. I can't remember. I remember writing it, but it seemed to me there was something along the lines of twenty two ten, and I think two against non-playoff teams. They're two games under 500 against teams over the playoff bar. Now they've got, of their last 23, they've got 11 games left against non-playoff teams. And, you know, and if they take care of business in those games, they should be okay. 
Nashville doesn't seem to be capable of stringing together like a string of five or six wins, and that's probably what it will take. I can certainly see the Canucks falling somewhere, you know, in one of the two wild card spots. I just don't see them falling off the face of the map like they have in other seasons. Yeah, and, and it, as you mentioned, everyone seems to be stuttering a little bit. Um, Nashville, Chicago, another team that looked like they'd put mm. it together and then really struggled. I'm curious about the rest of this week. Obviously, we're recording this before uh, they play Minnesota. Um, and then I, I look to – having gone through all the nostalgia, especially with the Sedins, which we may talk a little bit about later, uh, I'm very intrigued with Boston coming in here on the <laughs> weekend – not only because of the history and that that is one of those landmark games still for Canuck fans with guys like Char and Marshawn still there, but, you know, I look at what happened to the Canucks last time when they were in a pretty good run when they went into Boston and didn't look anywhere near a top team in the NHL. This, Do you think for the players this is a, a landmark game or a little bit of, no, we have something to prove? Well, you know, Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, all those things, you know the crowd is going to be, you know, no jacked up. Uh, yeah, it isn't. I'm just sitting here funny, just thinking nine years ago. Yeah, 20, it's 20, crazy, it, yeah. It, it, 2011. And, it, and yet it's still Bergeron, it's still Marchand, it's still Chera. Uh, and for the Canucks, it's Chris Tanev and Alex Adler, and that's, uh, that, that's it. But, yeah, I think as long as, like, especially Chara and, and Marshawn are there, it, that, 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 that is going to be, you know, like the kindling that, that, that fires the, the, this rivalry. Uh, if they can't get up for that game, I expect a big performance from them. I really do. They, they, they just, it seems to be all set up for them. You know, I know that this was part of the attraction for Francesco Aquilini when he brought in Jim Benning because of the way the Bruins had run things. They haven't won a cup since 2011, but they've got there a couple of times. Uh, it is, it's, there's so many different ways to try and build a, a true contender in the NHL, but I, as much as Canuck fans may not like it, I think you have to admire the job Boston has done, quote unquote, rebuilding on the fly. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course it helps when you have a guy like Chara as, as the anchor. Um, but to be able to do that and, and acquire the right draft picks and spend them wisely and not so wisely in, in, in the famous case of them having three first rounders, but, uh, to look at the Bruins and the Canucks now and their journeys from 2011, it's pretty remarkable to see the different paths they took. Oh, no, it is. And that, that they're not the only team like that. San Jose finally seems to have hit a wall. But they were, you know, there was a, there was a group of te- teams in 2011 who were all kind of like the Canucks were there. They were elite teams. The Canucks were there. Chicago was there. Boston was there. I would have put San Jose in that conversation. Nobody had a hot clue what was coming with the Kings, but you know they, they, they fought their way in there. But all those teams, for the most part, managed to sustain their their shelf life far longer than the Canucks did. When you think of like the Canucks, by the time like well, you know they 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 they, they fire Vino and then Tortorella comes through, and then then they descend into the black hole. And these other teams are still, you know, San Jose makes the Stanley Cup final. Chicago goes on to win another cup. Boston, as you say, they, they, they've been a going concern. They came very close a couple of times to winning a cup. So, yeah, and you're right. We've often thought about the template that teams use to build on success. And Boston has just, just been incredibly smart with their drafting. When you get David Pasternak, 19th overall, you know, one spot behind uh, Jared McCann, or when you get Charlie McAvoy, the defenseman that really Ole Levy was supposed to be. 
I mean, that's just superb drafting, and that that's how they managed to to stay relevant and stay near the top of the league. Yeah, and I you know I look at a couple of other examples. You look at Nashville, who I thought were on the cusp when they got yeah. to the final. Um, and yeah, they ended up moving Subban after they sort of, you know, in the, or in the Shea Weber deal. So they've, they have made some swings for the fences, but you mentioned San Jose as well. What a disaster. I mean, they go the other way and they go great guns after Eric Carlson, knowing they've got this aging lineup and said, so let's put a, push us over the top. And they've done nothing but regress and they're stuck now with these awful contracts, a very ancient roster. And seemingly they're going into the black hole for a while. You think yeah. of, think of what a all Death over Valley that California trip used to be. No, I, that, <laughs> that's right. And, and, you know, and actually it benefits the Canucks. They've got games left against San Jose. They've got games left uh, against Los Angeles and they really have to sweep those games against the bottom feeders in in the division because it seems like the other teams are taking turns be, beating up on them. And it's, and I, I fully expect L.A. to do more selling here, like Martinez is going to be on the block here. Uh, San Jose may, might make another couple of moves. So, I mean, they, they, they should be a fairly dispirited bunch by the time we get into the last month of the season. Obviously, their defending champions is St. Louis still a cream, cream to, of the West and the team to beat? Yeah, I think so. I think that they just think they have fewer questions to answer uh, the, than the other teams. Um, just from the goaltender on out, and they're battle-tested, and they can play it any way. They can play it big. They can play it heavy. Uh, they've got a skill game, and I think Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be back in the lineup uh, toward the end of the regular season. To me, the fact that they've stayed at the top uh, of a fairly tough division without you know their one home run hitter it is a really commendable uh, uh prospect and i know craig Bruby does isn't getting a lot of run for coach of the year uh there are other names there you know john cooper's going to be there again there are other guys but uh uh boy he's he really has done an amazing job there's just something in there kind of in their dna and you know the the, the structure they play with and their system that enables them to continue to just just rolling they just keep on rolling before we get to our sort of uh anniversary talk and and look back at the sedines uh week and and we've talked a little bit about the 2011 team um coaching uh, just as you mentioned is is often uh, i find underrated in people's determination of how a team is doing in the nhl and if we look at the team locally here it's almost like i hear newell brown's name brought up more than than travis green's because you know, you can focus on special teams as an area where coaching maybe has more impact. But what do you think of the the job that Green has done with this group? It's it's kind of an incomplete grade right now because so much of it depends on how you know they perform over these last uh, these last six weeks of the season. If they make the playoffs, again, so much of this year revolves around them. If they make the playoffs. Nobody can really complain. I don't think anybody's expecting them to do any damage once they get there, but they've got a chip in the chair and a chip in a chair in the big game, at least. If they don't, you wonder. You wonder if more changes are coming because everything they've done, starting with, actually starting with the trade deadline uh, two years ago, uh, has been towards making this team as competitive as possible, as fast as possible. And they think they have a playoff team here. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly, if they if their coaching can help tweak the power play and get it back to the heights it was hitting earlier in the year, it'll go a long way. Because you know, if you get that goaltending, you've definitely got some goal scorers there. Uh, if you you make that power play um, as the big deterrent to being pushed around, we know there's not a lot of fighting in the playoffs, but it is the intensity does go up. 
it's going to be fascinating to see how this group does handle this last push. I mean, we are here. We are, you know, we're midway through February already, and um, I know you're the, the 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 tagline for you all year has been meaningful games later in the year, and it looks like they got them. Yeah, yeah, and you know, isn't it interesting? You know, we were probably about fifteen twenty minutes into this podcast, and we haven't talked about Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes and how they're going to do, and really their first baptism by fire in the NHL. And you've seen it with Patterson, especially over the last two weeks. Teams are just, you know, they get, there's an extra shot there, there's a, you know, a push there. They're just being a little more physical with him, and that's not going to change anytime soon. He's got to figure out a way to play through it, and and you can tell him you. It's a little like watching the Sedines when they first came up, kind of taking in all the information, processing it. Okay, now how do, what do I have to do to change? How can I how can I continue to play my game in this in this environment? Uh, Hughes not really concerned about. It. I I just think he's such a smart kid, um, and I think his you know that that hockey sense, that hockey IQ, and his physical skills will allow him to thrive. Uh, whether or not he'll be, it'll be enough. Like they just depend on those two guys so much, right? And is you know, is it fair to to to, to lean that that hard on a twenty and twenty one year old? But that's kind of you know, that's that's the path that they've carved out here. Yeah, and that's where the high draft picks do get you know the contracts they get. But you're right. Um, you know, I think any sort of controversy over a Canucks and MVP this year has been put to bed with the way Markstrom's played. But next on that list is probably Hughes. Would you not agree? I would probably elevate JT Miller. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I think as much for the leadership and the intangibles has the, has the production. And it just seems his game is really what this team wants to be. You know, it wants to be this kind of, you know, like, uh, uh, gritty, stalwart, two-way, 200-foot game, uh, hard on the puck, um, heavier kind of game, and, and, and he's given them all that. So I, just on that basis... Uh, yeah, but Quinn Hughes gets my vote for Canucks Rookie of the Year. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, when I, I do look, you know, I think Hughes and Pedersen are, the, I mean, that's the top end. That's what you've got for the next decade or so. But you look at what Miller is doing. If you hope Brock Besser comes back anywhere near, um, anywhere near, you know, what he showed his rookie year, as we talked about earlier, and then you hope for whether it's a Pod Colson or someone else to come in. I just, I know you've said this before, and I'm stealing the line from you. If Jake Vertanen just came close to what he, you thought he'd be when they drafted him, that's like the missing link for this team to really put them over the top. No, I, I agree, and, and that's why I, I. And again, that was the one of the other subplots to Jim Penning's uh, Jim Benning's press conference yesterday. He goes out of his way to praise Zach McEwen, and you know it's, he's found a way on, on, onto the team. Um, he said, you know, they considered calling up Reed Boucher. Uh, to, to fill, uh, to fill Besser's spot. And Jake was kind of, I mean, Jake had a long audition there on, on the first line and he produced a bit. But boy, when you're, when you're in that spot, you've got to, you know, you've got to produce like a, like a first liner or a top six guy. And my sense is they just don't think that he's going to be that guy and probably will never be that guy. So that makes for some interesting decisions in this offseason. Um, as we look uh, back a little bit, we move into sort of our vintage talk. Um, it was great to see the Sedins honored last week. I have to admit, I mean, well, 
you know, stretch, I, I know there's two of them, but stretching the honoring out over a week, um, seemed at first like it might be a bit excessive to me, especially since we were so close to all the eulogizing of them in their last season. But, uh, it had a real nice tone to it. Uh, the, the city just seems so full of love. It, it could have gone another way. Like it could have, I think like it could have been like a reach. It could have felt forced. And, and, and you're right. I think it was just like, like the reaction of fans. I think the way they brought like all their former teammates in. And then it's sort of a reflection on just how revered the twins are, uh, you know, in, in this market and in this province. So yeah, I, I mean, it could have, you know, <laughs> talking to somebody and they said, boy, wouldn't it be, you know, you'd like to see them do just the, this just once on a Saturday night game against my Montreal, you look, okay, they got Monday night against Nashville, they got Wednesday against Chicago, they got Sunday afternoon against, eh, they're trying to bump the gate up, maybe, but but, but again, um, you know, the it, it was a real chance to celebrate the Twins, and, and a chance, I think, for the whole city and province to really kind of embrace them and thank them for everything they've done. And on the ice is just a small part of it. It's what they represent off the ice. And I think it's the larger story here. That's always been more important to this Canucks organization than a lot of others who, you know, obviously when you've got success winning cups, that that's the resume you'll look to, to honor players. But here, uh, being that cornerstone player means so much more than just producing on the ice. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit because I know you've got a great relationship with Trevor Linden and you've spoken to him a few times this year. Uh, obviously, and he's been very direct in terms of what he will and what he won't discuss in terms of the way he exited uh, the organization. But I will say this. Every time they've done something with part of the anniversary and he hasn't been there, people keep dragging up, you know, why isn't Trevor there? Why isn't Trevor there? I th- That says so much about the Sedins that that can even bridge mm-hmm. some of those things that they, you know, people want to come back and honor him. Yeah. And, you know, and as it turned out, it really didn't have much of a, that story didn't really have much of a shelf life. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of people, you know, trying to, you know, like, like, you know, like read body language and what's he really trying to say here and what's the agenda for the all those things. He was just there because he has this deep and abiding respect for the twins. And I think might be an apples and oranges comparison. But, you know, you think of Ryan Kessler's relationship with Canucks fans. And then you think, okay, first of all, the Sedins reach out to him because they want him there. And Kessler is clearly easy to, you know, build fences and and repair a relationship that was fractured in 2014. And I think that's another positive story to come come from all of this. So it just it was just like I said, uh, you know, like you said, it just some really nice vibes around Rogers Arena here last week. Um, as we we look at the decade of the 2000s, um, I mean, we've did a video talking about it so you know if you're really interested in it you can watch that you find it on there on our website um but it it does strike me when i look at the way that decade went about coulda woulda shouldas at a couple of places but when you look about long rebuilds the canucks seem to do both deconstruction and construction on the shift in the 2000s it was it was a crazy decade there was about five distinct Many eras within the decade, and you know, it starts, you know, with the, the tire fire Mike Keenan left behind, and then seemingly out of the blue, Todd Bertuzzi turns into really a star level player, and they have the West Coast Express, and then Burke does that deal for the Twins. You know, and they're not the players they would be, but they're still providing second, and he's got this defense with Jovanovsky and Oland and Sammy Sallow and other players, and then 
it dies almost as quickly as we get like really three years out of it, 02, 03, 04. Lockout comes, uh, so does Steve Moore. That, that, that kind of puts an end to that. But then they come back with the Roberto Luongo trade and then they're down again and then they're up again when they, you know, they hire Gillis and, and, and he, he puts together, builds that team around the parts that Nonis and, and Berg left and he has them in the Stanley Cup final within a couple of years. I mean, you almost need Dramamine. Uh, when, when you're trying to follow the ups and downs and the fluctuations and this decade, it's, I mean, the downtime lasted longer than any of the other ones. But again, it seems to be part of that trend where, you know, they, 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 they falter, they falter dramatically, but they always seem to be able to, you know, rebound a bit. Which to you is the best team in Canucks history? No, the 2011 team. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. Yeah, yeah. There's not. I, and again, you just uh, there's kind of the visuals they left behind. But but you look at what they. It's just the numbers. You know they. I, and I, I'm going on memory here, but I, I remember writing this at the time. The the, the categories that they, they led in goals against goals for. I'm pretty sure in, in differential, and I think you had to go back. I, they were doing things that not even the the Oilers teams in the 80s were doing. Um, Top-ranked power play. I believe their their uh, their penalty kill was 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 top five in the league. Um, they they were just so good and and, and so dominant. Uh, and it's just a pity they, they they were kind of they just took a couple of body shots, uh, losing Malholtra, and then the big one for me will always be you know Kessler tearing his labrum in, in game five against San Jose. No doubt in my mind they win the Stanley Cup with a, with a healthy Kessler. And then Ham Hughes gets yeah. injured in the final. And then this happens and then that happens. And then, you know, they're just a spent force by the time game seven rolls around, which is too bad. But but when the, I just think of that team, they, they were a machine uh, that year. And I, I saw the I saw Pat Quinn's best teams a lot, like from 91 to 94. That 93 team I thought was a better team than the 94 team. I thought that's the team that should have made the Stanley Cup final, but um, no, top to bottom, that 2011 team stands alone. Yeah, it's funny, you know. I, I maybe lean a little bit more towards the the 0304 team uh, with the West Coast Express at its peak, um, and certainly we've talked about that year in the playoffs when they collapsed to Minnesota and what was on the table for them. You know, Colorado had been taken out already, Detroit had been taken yep, out yep. already, but goaltending. Yep. Yeah. And it, it ultimately, if I, if I can correct you there, Nami, it was actually 03. It was the 0203 team that yeah, lost yeah. to Minnesota. Yeah. 04, they lost Sorry. to Calgary. But, the, and that, and that was too bad because like, like Bertuzzi was, uh, and, and he, he had, quite frankly, he'd had a substandard season before that. But Bertuzzi in 03 is one of the five best players in the game. Naslin is a top 10 player. They have all these pieces together and, and Dan Kluge just couldn't deliver the goods in goal, uh, which is too bad. That goal Goaltending so important, especially in the yep. playoffs. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, the, the 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 way things were set up there, and for, you know, for them to be up three one against that Minnesota team, and it wasn't that they lost the next two; they just they they got shit kicked in both those yeah. games. It was you know, and then they come back and they're up in game seven, and I can still remember they they're up two nothing, and I can remember I, I'm blanking out on the Minnesota players, but he got this crazy high bounce from behind the net 
Pascal Dupuis. I'm pretty sure it's Pascal Dupuis. Bats it out of midair, and you could tell that that spooked Cloutier. Well, it hits Cloutier in the back yeah, and yeah. rolls off his back and into the net. Yeah, you could tell that just spooked him because the, the, and from then on, they're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And, you know, they're, they're scoring goals on chances that weren't even scoring chances. Yeah, and ultimately, that's the kind of, when you have that situation, the whole team feels it, and they get on edge. Yep. I, I remember that feeling in the building, and it's like, yep. here we go again, right? So Almost uh, like what happened to against Detroit the year before yeah. when they win the first two games in Detroit they come home and Nick Lidstrom ah yeah ah, yes there we go that changed right then and there um all right we'll leave it there for this week Ed thanks for your for your comments Dharma Kwana thanks for your production values here uh, I want to thank you guys for listening thanks to Key West Ford as well to keywestford.com for Western Canada's largest selection of trucks uh, thanks for listening everyone subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts and we will talk to you next week